Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're steering the stewardship this month, considering God's generosity in our lives and how we then steward these gifts of our heritage and our hearts and our harvests and our hope. Last week being All Saints Sunday and right on the heels of Reformation Sunday, we've been thinking about our heritage, both the Protestant Christian Reformation tradition, as well as the 123 years of Bethesda's life in this neighborhood, which grew up around this parish church. And giving thanks for our heritage, we considered how we now look to those who come ahead of us, who are looking for a house of mercy. Today and next week, we're looking at more of our present lives, the present work of God in our lives. So this week, heart is really focused on all of our life at present. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our time. And next week, our harvest. What has God blessed us with that we might be a blessing to others? And then at the end of the month for Christ the King Sunday, the heritage or the, the hope, the hope that we have looking to the future. But first, we got to look at the heart this week. We got to look at the heart because our hearts are restless. And in each of our hearts, right now are probably a variety of things. Maybe some of you have multiple feelings at odds with each other even now in your heart. In any case, I imagine you know what a restless heart is like. It's kind of like never adjusting to daylight savings time or standard time. I never know which one we're on now. Standard, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say something about why would you know that and not me, but yes, my phone just changes automatically. You know, so uh, when, when, when I was a kid, though, we had to change our clocks back. And lo and behold, this last Monday morning for school, actually it was Sunday morning, Judah wakes up at his usual time and he comes downstairs and I say, Judah, are you up early? You, you, you had trouble sleeping? He says, no, because he thought it was six o'clock when he's allowed to get out of bed and it was five o'clock. Well, nobody told his body that the clock changed. But what I really remember when I think about changing the times and how our hearts get restless is our dog, Porter. You know, bless his uh, memory, but when, when Porter was alive, his favorite person in the whole world was Grandpa Cookie, my father-in-law. And Grandpa Cookie came over every morning after going by Jerry's for some coffee and a little chit-chat with Francisco and Randy and all the guys at Jerry's. He'd come over and he'd pick up Porter Dog for the day, and they'd just have a ball, the two of them. Well, nobody told Porter the clocks changed. And so after this time of year, Porter would sit by the window feeling abandoned. He'd whine and look at the sun and look at the shadows and nothing made sense. Where was Grandpa Cookie? And I actually, I mean, I'm not a YouTuber, but kids, I do have a YouTube channel from like 10 years ago. And you can watch this cute little video of my dog waiting for Grandpa Cookie and him finally arriving on time according to the clock but late according to our dog's heart. And both the parable Jesus just told and Paul speaking to the Thessalonians in our first reading, it's people whose hearts are restless because the clock says Jesus has won. The clock says he has risen, he has risen indeed, alleluia. Death has been defeated, our sins forgiven, and the devil cast out. Our clock says that, but then our hearts experience a world in which exactly the opposite seems to prevail. 
our hearts are restless because the Word of God says it's Jesus' time. And our hearts say, yes, but this. Yes, but that. Our hearts are restless. The Thessalonians obviously had sent word to Apostle Paul that, hey, some of us are dying here. I mean, we've been a church for a few years and people have come to faith in Jesus who was raised from the dead and yet people in our church are dying. I thought that wasn't supposed to happen. Aren't we now immune from dying because we belong to Jesus, the defeater of death? And Paul's writing this earliest letter we have in the New Testament to allay these fears that maybe we're not Jesus' people because we're literally dying. He says, no, 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 no. Just because you've died doesn't mean you don't belong to Jesus or Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead himself. Paul calls it sleeping. I don't know why our Bible translates it those who have died. Literally in the Greek, it just says those who have fallen asleep will by no means be left behind. But when Jesus returns and he shouts out and the trumpet sounds out, everyone's alive. Everyone's awoken whether you're presently alive or whether you have been in a cemetery for some time. So Paul doesn't want his brothers and sisters to be uninformed about those who are sleeping so that they would not grieve as those who have no hope. And I love this. Paul doesn't say, stop crying. Don't be, a, don't be grievous. Paul is saying, grieve with hope. Grieve with hope. So your heart can be restless or even worse, just broken in grief and nevertheless hope in God. Jesus' second coming isn't going to leave anyone behind. Death is, as John Donne put it in this beautiful old poem, in the very last lines of the poem, John Donne says, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more death, thou shalt die. So Paul doesn't want his family to be uninformed of this and grieve without hope, but instead grieve in hope. We say this in the creed, and this is the longer version of the creed in the Nicene Creed, which we don't do as often. But when we talk about, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, at the very end of that stanza about the Son of God, we say in the Nicene Creed, He, Jesus, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. Now, why am I pointing this line out? Because Jesus, who, as I told the kids, has never left us, but has promised to be with us, Jesus will come again to our sight. It's been called the second coming. And when he comes everybody's awake. When he comes, dead or alive, everyone stands at his throne. Everyone comes under his judgment, and his kingdom at that time shall be without end. The reason I'm pointing that out, and this is just a little, uh, this is a little teaser. If you want to know more about what I'm about to say, then you need to get your coffee and your treats and come up to Sunday school. Because this passage from Thessalonians is one of the places where end times theology took a seriously wrong turn. 
and developed something called the rapture, which has only been around in church theology for about 150 years. The idea of the rapture is this. Jesus has a second coming, but it's secret, and then he just takes away his faithful Christians, and then they go away for a while. And then Jesus has a second, second coming later, and then he reigns for a thousand years on earth with Jews who've come to faith in him, and that's called the millennium. And then Jesus has a third second coming when he finally deals with the devil and his demons and finally eternally makes his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But rather than three comings, we believe, teach, and confess as the Bible does that Jesus has come into our world and has never left us forsaken. And he will come again in glory, meaning we can see it. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. It's a much simpler script in the Bible. But then why does Paul say we who are still alive will be caught up in the clouds with Jesus and meet him in the air and so be with the Lord forever? Doesn't it kind of sound like we are literally getting raptured up into the clouds and then we're up in the air forever like Care Bears? (laughs) Paul knows what Greeks believed. Greeks believed that the air was ruled by evil beings. Think of all the bad weather that's out there. The, The good gods are like way in the heavens. But the weather and the air, the Lord of the air, Paul tells the Ephesians, the Lord of the air is Satan, the Lord of the air. When Paul promises his restless-hearted church that Jesus is going to meet them in the air, what he's saying is this, Jesus is going to come again in victory, and he's the new Lord of the air. There's nowhere that he does not reign and his kingdom has come. He meets us in the air so that we can escort him to where he has promised to belong forever on earth as it is in heaven, in the new creation, when heaven and earth come together like a bride and a groom. Like this bride and the groom in the wedding feast parable in our gospel today. The wise virgins aren't wise because they had enough oil. They're wise because they didn't leave the party. All of them had fallen asleep. The five fools and the five wise, all the bridesmaids fell asleep. Not one of them was awake when the groom finally came. And those who were worried that they didn't have enough lamp oil, they left the party. And those who were wise said, we're going to go out and welcome the groom who has finally come. He's on a different daylight standard time or whatever than my heart. But the groom's here now. We're going to come out and meet him so we can escort him in to the wedding party. Same thing happened when a military victor comes back to his people. The Greeks knew what this was like, and the Roman Empire even better. The announcement would proceed that a a conquering general is coming near to the city. And so the people of the city go out of the city and meet the Lord out there so they can give him a hero's welcome to the city. But the point is to come home a conquering hero and to establish peace in the city. So whether it's the wedding feast parable or Paul's reassurance to the Thessalonian church, I'm here to reassure you when your hearts are restless and your heart seems to be set to a different time frame than God's clock, have peace. Jesus has not left us. 
and he will come again in glory to our sight once and for all to judge the living and the dead, to defeat all the forces that set against God, to recreate the heavens and the earth and bring them together like a bride and a groom. Our hearts might be resigned to a clock that seems delayed, but our hearts are resurrected in Jesus. He's going to come and announce that he's here, that the time has arrived, that it's time to go out and meet him and bring him back to the party. doesn't matter if you're a fool who ran out of your own good works and have to run to the store to get some more. And it doesn't matter if you're a wise fool who was um, anxious enough to pack extra oil for the lamp before you went to the wedding and nevertheless still fell asleep. The only thing that matters is when Jesus says, I'm here! (laughs) You can't help but wake up. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) Just wake up and listen to what your Lord says when he comes for you. Don't go running off to try and fill your lamps real quick. It's too late. Once the groom is there, it's time for the party. So I'm asking you to consider this week, and if you like homework, you can take the insert home, and on the back side of the insert, there's a couple of questions to consider praying through the life of your heart right now. What it looks like to steward your heart, who you are in your personality and abilities, who you are in the gifts God seems to have given you that you feel like you ought to be using even if it's not easy. Uh, who are you? What are your experiences that are an encouragement to others? You know, how has God shaped you in your heart? And what would it look like now as we chart a new course for Bethesda's mission and ministry? What would it look like for your heart to be invested in the life of this congregation so that this house of mercy could be extended uh, far and wide so that we could join with this psalmist in our psalm today that we can be a place that doesn't care who's saying, aha, gloating over the state of the church in today's world or what's going on in our lives even, but instead that we can be a place where in, in here, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say forever, great is the Lord. But as for me, I am poor and needy, Come to me quickly, O God. You are my helper and my deliverer. O Lord, do not tarry. In other words, O Lord, do not forget to set your clocks back. We're ready for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the keeper.